0: What do we do as a result of being in faith in Christ? What do we do? Well, we have one response, and that is to obey. That's how we show our love. And the Lord Jesus was very clear about that. He said that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the implicit opposite of that is that if you don't, you won't. He didn't give options. He didn't say, think about it, Um, you know, ponder this, go pray about it. He said, if you love me, do what I say. With the Apostle Peter, he told Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times, and Lord, you know I do. Good. You're going to die the same death I'm going to. Is that okay with you? That's just a very simple, very simple equation. You love Christ, therefore we obey him. We obey the law of Christ. And what we've been looking at mostly on Sunday mornings, and we're taking an exception. This week, parenting for God's glory, this is just another extension of our love for him. This is just another extension of saying, if you love Christ, then you do what he says in his word. And so this is good for all of us because it reminds us of the principle of obedience, regardless of what stage in life we're in personally. Our families very much are a microcosm of our faith, very much a microcosm of the church, that we obey Christ because we love him. So turn with me to Ephesians 6, which we're using as kind of our home-based text here. And I won't recall for you <clears throat> the, um, the reasons that talking about parenting is good for every believer, just except to say this, that we're reminded on how the Lord deals with us as our Father. And so I think tonight we might see some real clear correlations there. There's some military training that includes a phrase and some of you will be very familiar with this and that is the phrase, go weapons hot. And if you have military background, some of you are getting nervous already because you know that that means you're on a heightened state of awareness. This is a general phrase. that just means to put your weapon in a state such that when you pull the trigger, something's going to happen. This applies all the way from handheld firearms to missiles and everything in between that the next interaction you have with that weapon will make something happen. And it's very simple. If the weapon is pointed where you want it to be pointed, the intended consequences will happen. And if it's pointed where you don't want it to be pointed, then an unintended consequence will happen. But either way, a consequence will happen. Life is always weapons hot. When we make certain choices, there are natural outcomes to that choices. The trigger gets pulled, something happens generally speaking, unwise choices make for bad outcomes and wise choices make for good outcomes. That's not to say that bad things don't happen to wise people and that good things don't happen to unwise people. But generally speaking, unwise choices make bad outcomes. Wise choices make good outcomes. And so as we continue in our our series, mini-series here, Parenting for God's Glory, and we're using Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 as a home base we've been taking one phrase at a time to examine biblical parenting and let me just back up to remember these first we looked at the principle of heart motivation then we looked at the principle of respectful submission and tonight we're going to look at the principle of natural outcomes that life is weapons hot we'll begin in Ephesians 6 as our baseline and just to recall we looked at the principle of heart motivation Ephesians 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And we looked at the principle of respectful submission. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. And then tonight, we're looking at the principle of natural outcomes. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I think it'd be helpful to us before we go much further to kind of give a basic definition to help our thinking. How are we defining natural outcomes? Well, very simply, natural outcomes, we could define this phrase as how God responds and how life responds. How God responds and how life responds. God is sovereign over all things, but that doesn't mean that he is necessarily intervening directly in everything. Uh, God has already set up certain laws, certain consequences, certain ways that things happen, that happen automatically. For example, if I smash my thumb with a hammer, the pain I feel is not because God instantly sent angels down from heaven to activate the nerves in my thumb to make sure that I don't ever do that again. He already put them there. That's a natural consequence. All the angels in heaven they're doing they are going, oh boy, that must have really hurt. They don't have to do anything. God has already put that in place. But, but because God is sovereign, he will not let a continual pattern of destructive behavior go unresponded to. Ultimately, he will providentially respond, most often with natural consequences, with things that we might attribute to the, to the regular course of life, but in fact it is God's sovereignty, so that's why we can define natural outcomes as how God responds and how life responds. Very often it is God responding through the natural consequences of life. Now we've already seen that in Ephesians 6, 2, and 3, this is a reiteration of the fifth commandment, from Exodus 20 verse 12 and Deuteronomy five sixteen, and we were reminded last week that this is part of the law of Moses God's covenant with Israel and as a whole that law is null and void that that law does not apply to us anymore because the covenant the old covenant has been uh, has been taken away it's been replaced now by the new covenant in Christ but God's moral standards never change his his qualities of morality and purity never change and so Part little pieces of the old covenant have been brought forward so to speak reiterated as part of what Galatians 6 calls the law of Christ and in this case not only has the fifth commandment been restated reiterated but the natural outcomes the promises that go with the fifth commandment have been restated as well now the basic message of the fifth commandment is that honoring and obeying your father and mother it has lifetime ramifications, lifetime consequences, and we saw this last time. We looked extensively at that idea because in learning to honor your father and your mother, there's something you're learning to do. You're, you're learning to avoid self-inflicted suffering, to avoid self-inflicted suffering. Now, suffering in life is going to happen, but to a large degree, the Lord has given us the ability to avoid the self-inflicted part. I mean, and counseling, when we do counseling here, basically it involves dealing with pain. And pain only has two causes under the umbrella of God, myself or anything else. Those are the only two options. And often counseling issues deal with something else that's causing pain, but now I'm causing myself more pain because of my sinful response to that something else that was causing pain. And so I have a, a a problem, not just with pain that's caused outside myself, but now because my response is ungodly, I'm actually inflicting more pain on myself. For example, when your spouse sins against you, you screaming and yelling and controlling and manipulating in response just makes the situation worse, makes you feel worse. When life is hard for reasons that we're all familiar with, disease, finances, relationship heartache, you being angry with God, you using alcohol, you using drugs to numb pain or wallowing in your own self-pity, all it does is it makes it worse. And now the outside pain, something outside yourself has given you the excuse to inflict pain on yourself. And then you come to counseling and want to complain that God doesn't love you. And so if we're honest, we'll say, here's pain that you can't control, but here's of it that you're kind of inflicting on yourself, and so that's the part that we're going to deal with. I can't take away cancer, I can't take away a broken relationship, but we can deal with how we respond to it. And so, we want to teach our children that life is weapons hot, that there are consequences to actions. Now, if you've ever been to some place where you have to participate in dangerous activities, sometimes they make you watch training videos. And these training videos have two purposes. First is to ensure that you can properly operate whatever equipment or activity with which you're about to engage. And second, their lawyers tell them that by watching those, they can't be sued. And so that's the real reason that you have to watch these training videos. So if we had a series of training videos called the principle of natural outcomes, we might have five of these videos and each of them with a title that tells us what our children need to know. So let's sit our kids down, let's sit ourselves down and watch these videos together. The first training video, we might title it very simply, Live Longer, Live Longer. The end of verse 3, the Apostle Paul reiterates part of the promise to children who will obey their parents. He says that you may live long in the land. Now in the context of that command, God is giving this law to Israel, And specifically, there is a big and a small application to this. The small application is that in your individual lives, they might perhaps not be cut short due to disobedience, that you might literally have a longer life. The bigger application is that the nation would get to stay in the land because a nation made up of people who have dishonored their parents consistently would incur the discipline of the Lord as Israel ultimately did if you could trace going all the way back to what was the root of Israel's ultimate problem, was it idolatry? I would say no, that was, that was the end. That wasn't the root. The root was that they became a nation of people who dishonored their parents. They did not live long in the land because of that. But in the New Testament context in which Paul now draws this principle forward to us, we could say generally that you may live long on the earth, that you may stay alive longer. This is a very familiar refrain in Proverbs. Listen to Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, the idea of peace includes the concepts of wholeness and health and harmony. We'll talk about that in the next training video. But length of days and years of life, there's nothing symbolic about that. There's no way to spiritualize that. It just means longer life. And this is all over Proverbs. Proverbs four verse ten Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Proverbs nine verse eleven, for by me, speaking of wisdom, your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. Proverbs ten twenty seven. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs fourteen twenty seven The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs fifteen twenty four. the path of life leads upward for the prudent that he may turn away from Sheol, the grave beneath. Proverbs 20, verse 20, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in other, other darkness. Proverbs 30, verse 17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. This is everywhere in the wisdom literature. Now we can apply this broadly to all human beings that hard living makes for a shorter life. It's fairly common knowledge now that certain behaviors tend to reduce life expectancy. For example, heavy alcohol use cuts 10 to 12 years off the average life expectancy. One source calculates that for every hit of meth, methamphetamines, an average of 11 hours of your life is lost, meaning that A 10-year-long addiction using just one time per week can add up to an eight-year shorter life. And so there are natural consequences that are there broadly to all of humanity. But the context of the wisdom that we read about in Proverbs is to a son or to sons who claim to be a true worshiper of Yahweh, a true worshiper of the Lord. Or if we put it in New Testament terms, one who claims to be a Christian. That rebellion against your parents and consequently against other forms of authority. And we saw that last time that somebody who rebels against parents will rebel against other forms of authority, that it can and it may shorten your life at the hands of God. And you say, oh, that sounds very, very Old Testament. That sounds kind of like the grumpy God of the Old Testament, not the nice cotton candy God of the New Testament. God is the same God all through Scripture. Acts chapter five, New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira They claim to be believers in Christ, they lie to the apostles, they lie to the Holy Spirit, and they lose their lives that very day. That's church discipline taken to the nth degree. Professing believers in the Corinthian church, they were losing their lives at the Lord's hands simply because they were mocking the grace of God by receiving the Lord's table while at the same time mistreating fellow believers in an unrepentant fashion. The professing believers in the church at Thyatira are given a very stern warning from Jesus himself. Some were following after an unchecked and unrepentant sexual immorality. Essentially, they were preaching and living the doctrine of free grace. Hey, you're under Christ. You can do anything you want. And they were following a woman nicknamed by Jesus Jezebel after the Canaanite wife of King Ahab. And Jesus warned in Revelation 2.23, I will strike her children dead. Meaning all who follow after her, I will kill them. And there's no, there's no symbolism here. There's no metaphor. There's no allegory. When he says, I'm going to strike them dead, it means he's going to kill them. He's going to end their lives. And so it seems that often God is gracious and continues to allow the lives of professing believers with unrepentant rebellion and sin to continue. But sometimes he says, that's enough. That's enough. And he will take that believer's life. So, to stay out of the major gun sights of the Lord, it seems that the first step is to learn to honor father and mother. And that all the implications of this, of continuing to have the influence of your parents continue with you in life, can actually spare your life. Now, if we were going to try to quantify what the worst pain, the worst emotional pain in the world is, I think near or at the top perhaps would have to be parents outliving their children there there really just isn't a pain like that and if this is compounded by the child dying prematurely because of foolishness and rebellion there aren't words for that kind of grief and you can't spin that to make that something good except to say that god is always sovereign and god is always good what do you say to a parent whose teenager has od'd and died because of lack of wisdom and not following after their parents' counsel and advice. What do you say? God is good, God is sovereign, but there's not much else to say. It's a horrifying pain. So, what do you say in training video number one? We say live longer. Live longer by un- understanding the concept of honoring father and mother. If we were going to push play on the second video, we would call this one live better. Live better. Ephesians 6, verse 3, that it may go well with you. That the way may go well with you. Now, the last part of verse 3, Paul is talking about quantity of life. In the first part now, he's talking about quality of life. And I want to have you turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. And I think we can get some good instruction here. After having given the law to the second generation of Israelites, about to enter the promised land the Lord gives the blessings and the curses that will come upon them depending on their submission or their obedience to him now we don't want to make the mistake of applying this specific situation generally speaking that obedience to the Lord is always a guarantee of happiness and blessing that's not the point of Deuteronomy 28 these promises are specific to Israel The, the curses have already come true they're happening today at this moment the blessings ultimately will be fulfilled in the coming millennial kingdom. But because Paul brings this law forward to the New Testament, to our thinking, we can reasonably see and glean some outcomes to obedience or to rebellion, either one. Now, this is not a name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. The, the higher understanding of Deuteronomy 28 is eschatological. It's yet to be fulfilled. It is in times looking But because the connection between obeying your parents and being blessed by God is so clear here, and it's brought forward by Paul, I think we can make some observational principles since the New Testament revelation points us back here. So I just want to catalog a few categories of blessing that can come from obedience. Now, before we give the categories... Moses introduces the blessings and the curses in in the first two verses of Deuteronomy 28. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Has Israel ever been set high above all the nations of the earth? That has not happened yet. We find confirmation all over the Old Testament that this will happen. For example, Isaiah 2, verse 2, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And so for Israel, the specific context of Deuteronomy 28 is obey me and I will bless you. That has not happened yet. But we could catalog a few categories of blessing. Let me give you the first category. We might call this one blessing inside your gates. Blessing inside your gates. Now, in the context of an Israelite family, if they were settled into the land, they would have gates even around their own property. And so to speak of being inside your gates is your safe place. It is a place you have influence. Verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. And skip down to verse 11. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. This is just speaking of life, it's speaking of business, of family, of prosperity. not just because God is somehow zapping them with these blessings of obedience, but because obedience tends toward a life free of self-inflicted pain. It just does. I' give you an example. You can decide to have a peaceful family. You can decide that. if you obey the word of the Lord, to husbands, love your wives. To wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. You can make a choice to have a a generally peaceful and pain-free family. And so the first category, blessing inside your gates. We could identify a second category of blessing, protection from those outside your gates. Protection from those outside your gates. And we see this in verse 7. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Now, yes, this is speaking of the supernatural blessing of the Lord but in Israel's history, She tended to invite trouble from outside the gates to come inside. She tended to worship the gods of her neighbors. She tended to want to be like her Canaanite neighbors. Obedience says, I'm not going to invite trouble from the outside to come in. I'm going to keep it out by submitting to the Lord. And so the protection here, it's not just... In our case, supernatural protection. We're not, we're not using a prosperity gospel heresy here to say, I claim God's protection. This is simply, if you obey the Lord, you tend to lead a more protected life because obedience to his commands leads toward blessing. And we might identify a third category of blessing. We might just call this influence. Influence, verse 10 And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. Now, obviously, our goal is not to make people afraid of us. But you know, even as a believer in Christ, I have noticed that when unbelievers get to know you, there is a sense of intimidation. There is a sense where the humble and humbled, and maybe even on the way to the cross, unbeliever says, you're living a life that I can only dream of. There's something about you that's different. And so there is a sense almost of intimidation. But would those around you say you are called by the name of the Lord? Would they say that? Because if they will, you're having an influence on them. And we see influence in verse 13 as well. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. Are you more of an influence on those around you or are you influenced by those around you? The fact is, is that a life of obedience is a life of influence. It just works that way. So you have have blessing inside your gates. You have protection from those outside your gates. You have influence. Now, I find it interesting that Israel gets 14 verses of potential blessing from God And God lovingly, I won't read it to you, but just look how long the rest of Deuteronomy 28 is. In my Bible, it takes another two and a half pages. He gives them 14 verses of potential blessing and 54 verses of warning. The opposite of all those blessings happening. And verses 15 through 68 tell what happens to quality of life when you live in disobedience. There's a direct and an immediate impact to the quality of life to a child who continues to dishonor his parents. This impact is warned about over and over again in Proverbs that there is an eventual destruction, there is an eventual breaking of your life. And Proverbs, in fact, talks about one particular consequence that's not even listed here in Deuteronomy 28, and that is the eventual breaking of relationship with your own parents because of this. And it's sad, and this is all over Proverbs. Just listen to kind of a quick survey here. Proverbs twenty three twenty two. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Speaks of a broken relationship. Proverbs 10, verse 1, The Proverbs of Solomon, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Proverbs 17, 25, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Proverbs fifteen twenty. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son despises his mother. Proverbs seventeen twenty one. he who sires a fool gets himself sorrow and the father of a fool has no joy. It is okay, particularly as your children get older and older, to tell them, you know, if you keep going down this path, the eventual consequence of this is that you and I ultimately won't even have a relationship because we'll have nothing in common except DNA because I want to follow the Lord and you want to follow yourself and eventually we'll have nothing to talk about except the weather. And so there will be a natural consequence of a broken relationship. As a matter of fact, there can be very tangible consequences for this broken relationship. Proverbs 17 verse 2 says, a servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers This is a shocking situation to an ancient Near Eastern family where a father takes one of his sons and says, you do not get any of my stuff, any of my things. I'm giving it instead to this servant who has been faithful to me for decades. Boy, if you're the son, that's shocking. That means that he just took away your ability to make a living. Listen, the Bible does not command that rebellious children or young adults automatically share in the wealth of their parents. You mean to say that how my kids behave as adults might impact what I do in my will? Yes. And you should tell them that. You should tell them, why should I give you the money God has given me so that you can go spend it on sin? Why would I ever do that? And so there are tangible consequences for that broken relationship. So the warning, the training videos, training video number one, live longer. Isn't that a great thing to tell your kids? Live longer. Training video number two, live better. There's a third training video we might consider and we would title it, I'm here for you, for now. I'm here for you, for now. Teach your children that you are a temporary intercessor. You're a temporary blockade between the full retribution of God that's deserved for their rebellion. And we have a great example of this in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn here, but you know the story. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, Receiving the law of God, the people down below, they fashioned for themselves a golden calf to worship. Exodus 32, beginning in verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people, whom you... I love this, by the way, God saying, Go down for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said... These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now, what if Moses had said, that sounds good to me. Let me just get out of the way. We'd have a whole different Bible now, wouldn't we? And he begs them, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. I wonder what have been different in... 586 BC if Moses had been there to intercede for his people in a very real way Moses was the dad for an infantile Israel but eventually dad moves aside and they must grow up and take responsibility the Lord has given parents as a temporary protective covering and of course parents continue to pray for our children for a lifetime but a rebellious child in the home All they get is correction and discipline. Whereas a rebellious adult who has not heeded his parents will receive everything that God can throw at him. As a matter of fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, essentially Ecclesiastes is a sneak peek at a badly lived life. It's a chance for a young person to read ahead about the consequences of pursuing everything except the true worship of God. And the wise father, Solomon, he says this in Ecclesiastes 11.9. He says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. He says, hey, do whatever your heart tells you to do. Enjoy the sin and debauchery of anything you want. You have my blessing. But the wise father continues, but no... That for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He says, go ahead, go against my counsel. Do everything I told you not to do. Stop listening to my admonition. There will be a day when I can do nothing for you and you will come to a reckoning before God. That is a great warning to a teenager. The point of the father there is saying, I'm here for you for now. We might identify a fourth training video. We would call this one, Who do people say that you are? Who do people say that you are? Now, Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, Who do people say that I am? And they were identifying what Jesus' reputation was. Turn with me to Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20. And here's a great discussion as you're turning to think about this. A great discussion to have with your children Periodically, and this can be done with small children, it can be done all the way with adult children. Who do people say that you are? What is your reputation? From a very early age, children begin creating their own reputation. Your responsibility as parents is to, is to help protect their reputation by disciplining out of them those behaviors which are selfish and will negatively impact others. Do you discipline more harshly Behaviors that hurt other people as opposed to behaviors that just are inconvenient. Yes, you do because you're helping them develop their reputation. But ultimately, even parents who faithfully discipline their children, you can have a conversation that goes something like this We spank you, we teach you when you don't obey us, but ultimately your disobedience will spill over into your other relationships. You will frustrate and you will aggravate others. And at first, they're going to blame me, but eventually, they'll just blame you and just pity me. Then eventually, at first, somebody might say, well, if you were a better father, this kid wouldn't be that way. That's true. But eventually, you'll own your own reputation, and they won't blame me. They'll blame you, and they'll just feel sorry for me. The writer of Proverbs gives a very sobering reminder to children in Proverbs 20, verse 11. Verse 11. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. So there's not a pass here. Oh, he's just a kid. Scripturally, that doesn't wash. Now I want you to know this is something that's emphasized and something is missing. What is it that's emphasized here? His acts. This can be translated his practices, the things that he does regularly over and over again and then his conduct, his, this speaks of his work, his accomplishments, the thing that he's done. It has overtones of something that's achieved with great effort over a long period of time. And so what's emphasized here, his acts, his conduct, what he does, I want you to notice something that's missing, his words, his words. Ultimately, those around you will judge you not on your words, but on the pattern of your life. There's a very simple truth here, and I would encourage you to tell your children this. Salvation in Christ is by grace. Your reputation is not. You cannot earn salvation, but your reputation is fully earned. I like to tell kids, and I think this is true for all of us, that generally speaking, you have the reputation you deserve. That is true of a five-year-old. It is true of a 50-year-old. So you teach your children that they can't ride the coattails of your reputation. You can't say, well, I grew up in a Christian family. Well, I grew up in a family that goes to church and we did all these good things. You can't ride those coattails. Eventually, those who know you will draw a distinction. At first, when children are little, if they're well behaved, people will say, oh, what a nice family. But eventually they'll say, oh, what godly parents, but what a treacherous disappointment this child turned out to be. There will be a separation. Who do people say that you are? Well, we might suggest a final training video to help children understand that life is weapons hot, that there are natural outcomes, and we'll call this Let's Practice Life. Let's practice life. This is the final training video before the doors open, the gates open, and you go out into real life. Now, this is really more of a training video for parents to let their children experience natural outcomes in a protected environment. What this video is, is tr- is placing children on notice that your parenting is also weapons hot. One simple way to implement, let's practice life, and this applies to children old enough to use logic, children old enough to reason, and we'll talk about corporal punishment in a later message, but that's primarily for ch- small children who can't reason yet. That's useful for them. But natural outcomes, natural outcomes is a much more powerful method for older children who can reason. And the very simple application of all of what we've seen in Proverbs, of the warnings of what could happen to you in the future, the warnings of what can happen to you uh, per the uh, warnings in Deuteronomy 28, is to think in terms of natural, logical consequences. Because that's what Scripture works us toward both positive and negative whether natural logical consequences now obviously your children never have to earn your love but they do have to earn privileges they do have to earn punishments both on both sides and for example you, you have a private meeting with one of your kids and you say i asked you and your siblings to work hard at cleaning the house today and you really threw yourself into it with a positive attitude. So we were going to just watch a movie together tonight, but because you were so diligent and had such a great attitude, we're going to go to the store first and you're going to pick all the snacks for the family. Because I just appreciate how, how much effort you put into that. That's a natural outcome. Or... I asked you and your siblings to work hard at cleaning the house today. You had a rotten attitude and you didn't even do a very good job. So before we do anything fun, you're going to redo your chores and you're going to do them better and with a better attitude. That's a natural outcome. Why is this important? Listen, if you're in the workplace and you do terrible work and you give it to your boss, what will he do? He'll give it back and say, would you do this again, please? That's, that's life. That's normal. And if you do that enough times, he won't give it back to you. He'll just give you a pink slip and say, go work somewhere else. Consequences that don't relate to the behavior don't make sense to a child. And they don't really teach anything except to keep you happy. What are they learning? When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's what they're learning. Instead of making a connection here, I can give examples of terrible ways to parent because I've done all of them, so I'm very comfortable doing that. Here's a terrible way to parent. If a child is in the habit of complaining continually and one day you snap and say, that's it, you owe me 10 bucks. Okay, the child goes and gets his piggy bank account, gives you a $10 bill. What does that have to do with a heart attitude? It doesn't address the issue of thankfulness. But if you say we need to address your habit of complaining and so you're going to write out 10 things you're thankful for every day all week and you're going to present them to our family in a speech in front of everybody in the living room and you're going to dress up and you have to wear a bow tie and the shoes that you hate. Now that's a consequence that matches the infraction. You're dealing with a heart issue. Or if you say you have a habit of being unthankful And you complained in advance about something we were going to do together as a family so guess what you don't get to participate you can go vacuum you can do something else you don't get to participate because I'm not going to deal with a heart of ingratitude when our children were little Sylvia had a Beautiful method for keeping a careful eye on gratitude, particularly with little kids. Whether they, what should they be grateful for? They should be grateful for for the things they have. So she kept a careful eye on the gratitude for toys. You give a child endless things. By the way, they'll become entitled. They'll become ungrateful. And when our kids became ungrateful and disinterested in certain toys, instead of letting those toys become monuments of how special and entitled and idolatrous our children are to us the toys would just disappear for months at a time. Even I'd open the closet and I'd go, oh, there's all the toys up there. That's amazing. And then she would bring them out a few months later and it was amazing how they were brand new. Oh, thank you, mommy. These are so great. We could have saved a lot of money at Christmas if we had timed it out just in December to do that. But the consequence matched the heart problem and so therefore we want to deal with the heart issue by dealing with natural outcomes. The basic lesson to your children is that obedience means more good things and less pain. and Disobedience means fewer good things and more pain. In our culture, I thought 20 years ago this was the case. It's even more so now. And that is the idea that if you happen to be between about the ages of 10 and 18, that somehow you are the most important person on the planet and that you are entitled to everything. And very often in counseling, I have reminded a teenager in front of their parents is that that they only have to do four things for you. They have to give you food, water, a place to go to the bathroom, and shelter. And they don't have to do anything else. Everything else is a privilege. And they're going through their mind, I got about 500 other things. That's right. So think about scratching 496 of them off, and maybe you can start earning them back. Because we don't want entitled children. If you don't teach your children that obedience means more good things and disobedience means fewer good things, you're fooling your kids into thinking that life is not weapons hot, that life doesn't have real consequences. Now, as I was looking at this, it it made me think about many precious saints that I've sat in counseling with over the years, and, and it made me remember that this concept is not just about parenting there's a tremendous application for us concerning self-inflicted suffering. And here's a question maybe to ask yourself. In the ways I'm suffering, is there anything I can do differently that would change the outcome? Is there anything I can do differently that would change the outcome? I don't like my marriage. What can I do differently? What am I doing to contribute to the negativity? I don't like my work situation. What can I do differently to be more godly in it? I deal with this as a pastor on occasion. I don't like my church. What can I do differently? And people will come to me and say, I I want you to change everything to make me happy. No, what can you change to make yourself happy? You don't like an unchangeable situation, okay? What can I do to take advantage of it and grow in the Lord through it? This is not just about parenting. We deal with self-inflicted suffering all the time. And so we can mitigate that. We can subtract that from our life. As parents though, we are to teach children about the principle of natural outcomes even as you continue to examine the principle of natural outcomes in your own life. You know, a a boy who gets his way with his mother or father all the time will turn out to be self-focused and unable to deal with the rigors of being a selfless head of his home. He'll often have an insecure controlling style as a husband. He'll often be prone to great fits of anger because he used to get his way all the time. A girl who emotionally manipulates and gets away with it won't easily be able to handle the sacrificial nature of marriage and will potentially make a husband miserable for a lifetime. If I can put it this way, life will tell you no all the time, so get your children used to that word because life will say it all the time. In the classic 1881 book by Robert Louis Stevenson, Treasure Island, The Good Ship Hispaniola sailing, and it's an interesting story because there's a combination of of good men who are just seeking treasure and they don't know that some of the crew is made up of wicked pirates who are waiting to kill all the others and take the treasure for themselves. And the the undercover but infamous leader of the pirates, Long John Silver, he's taken under his wing one of the young sailors and convinced him to join with the pirates. And so this this young sailor who's weak of will and weak of morals He joins in with the wicked men in what would be a battle for control of the ship, battle for control of Treasure Island, and battle for control of the treasure itself. But the young sailor, and and Stevenson follows the story of this young sailor, it seems he had a good Christian mother who taught him the Bible, and he had made him take his Bible with him on this adventure. And the young sailor begins to realize far too late That he's chosen the wrong side and near the end of the book he's seen to be frantically praying with his Bible open. His men all around him are dying. He himself gets sick with a horrible fever and he is apparently dying. And eventually he's marooned on the island with two other pirates too late for redemption. And the lesson of the young sailor is, oh, if only he had listened to his mother and taken her counsel to heed. He might have lived a longer life and he might have lived a better life. You teach your kids that life is weapons hot and they can either take the protected consequences now or they will take the full unprotected fury of God later. Teach them now. If I could put it this way, you won't break them now, but God may break them later. So you do all you can. Proverbs says to discipline your child, you will not kill him that he will survive. You won't break them now, but God may break them later. So teach them that. Teach yourself that. Teach yourself that suffering may be self-inflicted and you can do something about it. Model that for your children so that they might understand that as well. Our Father, we are thoughtful and mindful of the fact that because of our sin, we tend to run toward the darkness even though we are in the light and even though we are saved, we... We carry forward, Lord, the, the leftover problems of our flesh. We carry forward the leftover sin patterns that just seem to be such a part of our DNA. The book of Hebrews talks about the sin which easily follows us or besets us and we're mindful of that. And so, Lord, as, as adult believers, we would ask you for the grace to honestly examine our lives and understand how we might be inflicting pain on ourselves by our own rebellion how we might be looking for answers in in places that there are none and finding only increased pain because of our disobedience, because of the natural outcomes that you've already set in place. And Lord, for those who are parents, those who are grandparents, who have influence over children, I pray, Lord, that this would generate many, many good discussions, that life is loaded. And that when the trigger of of actions is pulled, consequences happen. Bad things will happen for disobedience. Good things will happen for obedience. I pray, Lord, that the children represented by the parents here would learn this lesson well so that in the years to come, as they are launched out into life, their father and their mother's advice and admonition and counsel will stay with them. As Proverbs says, as a garland around the neck, as a wreath for the head a decoration to make life more bearable, to make life free of self-inflicted pain. We pray these things so that we might obey Christ, that we might be good children of God, those who are obedient to our Heavenly Father. All for the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen.